Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hi, and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I am your host, Cindy House. Nice to have you here with us today. We're going to be talking about an up-and-coming songwriter from the Boston area, Sadie Gustafson Zook. There is a lot going on with Sadie. Raised in a supportive Mennonite community near Goshen, Indiana, Sadie was playing in her parents' folk band from the age of six, Homeschooled until grade five, she learned to channel her feelings through writing. After graduating from Goshen College, she moved to Boston in order to experience life outside of her community and to further her education. She recently completed a master's in jazz voice at Longy School of Music in Boston. And the way she incorporates jazz brings this refreshing burst of energy into her original music. The songs on her latest record, Volume 1 were finished recording before the pandemic started. It's actually an EP. Sadie worked with the delightful Alex Spiegelman, who you will hear on a future episode of Basic Folk. She talks about their creative connection and what he brought to the project. There are plans for a full-length album, as in, like, that was Volume 1. Volume 2 is going to come out. But who knows? when that will be in this world of uncertainty. That very topic of uncertainty is something that she is quite familiar with and has reflected on in her songs, even as a person in her early 20s. We talk about the ability to cultivate that wisdom at a young age. There has also been a pretty significant arc in her presentation of gender. She talks about how this is her first release as an out lesbian and the evolution of her relationship to gender. Still based in Boston, Sadie is one of the most exciting up-and-coming songwriters coming out of the next generation of Passim musicians, that Passim circle, and I'm excited to welcome her to the podcast. We're going to check out a song from her Volume 1 EP. Let's hear Bird Song, and then we'll get to our conversation with Sadie Gustafsson Zook on Basic Folk. Bird Song makes me squirm, cause I've learned to assume it's from a man. Standing by the road, sticking toe, making all kinds of demands. Smile, sugar, sweet eyes, concrete. I stare intensely, longing to appear so austere with a pinch of strong and angry. I like looking bad like a bag, feeling the security of thinking no one's there who would care or make remarks at me. 
Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me, Cindy. I've been waiting for this day for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's get right into it. Mm-hmm. From age three, you lived in Goshen, Indiana. Where was everybody before that? So I was born in Portland, Oregon. So my extended family, like half of them is out there. And that's where we moved from. When we moved cool. to Indiana. What drew your parents to Goshen? Uh, so my mom got a pastoring job in Goshen. She had oh. gone to a wedding in Oregon for some like friends. And then someone from Goshen was at the wedding and asked her then, I think like pretty point blank, like, hey, do you want to move to Goshen to be a pastor at this like small church? And she was like, maybe I'll think about it. <laughs> and wow. Then we moved. But also Goshen was like, my dad went to college in Goshen, so it wasn't a totally new or random place. Wasn't unfamiliar. Yeah. Had she been a pastor previously? Um, She was ordained, or like she'd gone to seminary and all of that. I grew up in the Mennonite church, which is, Mm. it's like a pretty broad category, but we were like the liberal kind of Mennonites. So like, I don't have a lot of church trauma, I don't think. Um, but the church was a really big part of my upbringing. And especially since my mom was a pastor for most of my childhood, just going to churches and hanging out and having friends at church events was like a big part of my childhood. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about being raised Mennonite? Like what specifically that looked like for you and how you connect with its teachings? Sure. The Mennonites are like a group of Protestants that kind of believed in not baptizing children. Um, So you would be baptized whenever you decided that you were ready to join the church, kind of as like a statement of like, this is a personal decision for me and not Mm. like just something that I'm born into, which ironically, like I haven't been baptized and, uh, and it wasn't a problem, but yeah. So I went to a Mennonite middle high school and college. The town of Goshen is a very Mennonite town where like all of the liberal Mennonites live in Goshen, kind of. Not all of them, but lots of them. Just as, like, values-wise, Mennonites are very into, like, community, and they're, like, a pacifist denomination. And so, like, very, like, let's talk it out. Let's, like, let's try and figure out non-violence ways of dealing with things. And there's lots of potlucks, lots of hymn singing, (laughs) lots of quilt making. I think, like, I picked up a lot of things in terms of baking, sewing, kind of crafty, making things kind of things (laughs) from Mennonites. And then also, like, singing was just something that happened. It was just, like, a part of being with people. And so, like, all of the children's choirs and stuff that I was in, they were all kind of associated with the Mennonite church as well. Or at least were run through the Mennonite College that was, like, they had a community school of the arts and had a lot of um, classes and stuff. Hmm. Even though not everything was, like, really explicitly Mennonite, like, most of the circles that I grew up in were really kind of, like, 
cradled within the Mennonite church. So your parents, Les and Gwen, they seem like such sweethearts. <laughs> yeah, they're very nice. Um, so your mom was a pastor. Is she still a pastor? Um, so she's still ordained. She's currently like in school getting her doctorate of ministry, but she's not currently like working with a congregation. And what does your dad do by trade? So right now he works for a Mennonite organization um, that does kind of relief work for like international relief kind of things. So he's doing kind of fundraising for that organization. And they're both musicians and they each play multiple instruments and they encourage you to learn violin when you were four and then you actually started performing in their folk band when you were six which sounds very cute yeah for a while when I was younger my dad was a like full-time musician um and he was doing like school shows in elementary schools with a bunch of different instruments so like just that context like he uh is a very good auto harp player and um for a while that was like his trade and then I think he kind of got tired of self-promotion and then switched to like okay I have a social work degree and like what can I possibly do that is like integrates music some but it's like just different how did your parents approach to music in your house growing up help shape the type of musician you are today (laughs) um I think they were pretty playful about it um well yeah it was kind of just like something we were doing for fun it wasn't like they didn't force me into anything and I think um that is good and kind of how I still have a relationship with music where it's not the most disciplined but it is like a means to an end in some ways But also, like, as a small child, when I started playing fiddle in the little family band, like, I think there was a little bit of feeling like, okay, I have to do this because my parents want me to do this. And I also really enjoyed it. But I think there was some pressure there. And it wasn't, like, entirely playful. But, yeah. Do you remember when you were four and started playing the violin? Because I, like, cannot, like, I don't have any... You know, somebody must have told you, like, oh, you were four when you started playing violin. Because, like, I can't think back and be like, oh, when I was four, I was doing whatever. Sure. Yeah. Um, I don't think I remember being four. I think I have memories from, like, maybe being five or six. But I don't remember the very beginning. Like, I don't remember learning the violin. I don't have any memories of not being <laughs> able to play the violin. Um, I want to talk about your friendship with Ethan, Ethan mm, Satiwan, mm-hmm. who's a very talented um, musician, very talented mandolin player, also from Goshen, right? Same yeah. hometown. Um, and you have had like a pretty consistent musical partnership. Um, I don't know how true that is, but you were in a band <laughs> together. You played in duos together and you've played shows together and he produced a record of yours. And I read that your dad, I don't know if your dad encouraged him to start playing mandolin or like taught him how to play mandolin but where did that friendship and musical partnership begin and how do you think you've benefited from knowing each other yeah so me and Ethan go way back um he his family started going to my church when he was in fifth grade and at that point he was like like a bookish kid a bookish homeschooling kid that didn't 
I think he played cello in like community orchestras and stuff. And I think my dad did. He definitely encouraged him to play the mandolin. I don't know if he gave him his first lesson or not, but he definitely was like, he will take a little bit of credit for being involved at least. (laughs) But yeah, so there was this band uh, called the Band of Goshen that was like my dad, our friend Kent on the bass, and then my mom and me and Ethan, and then like some other kind of rotating people that would play for contra dances. And so... Once Ethan picked up the mandolin um, and once it became clear that he was like super serious about it and like extremely talented, it was very clear that like playing with Ethan was extremely different from playing with my parents. And then Ethan moved to Boston. He was now in college. I mean, I didn't know that Boston was like a hub for music in any way before Ethan. Like he told me about all of these bands that ended up being like people that I really greatly admire and then people that like now some of them I know personally which is very fun um like I didn't know about Berkeley I didn't know about the New England Conservatory like any of the like I don't know there's such a scene in Boston especially for bluegrass which isn't really my genre but I hung out with a lot of bluegrass people due to my relationship with Ethan Mm. and yeah I just like wouldn't have had any idea it had it not been for Ethan and I think He was, like, a really great instrumentalist on its own. And then I think playing with me helped him kind of figure out how to play with singers and how to, like, honor songs and not just tunes. Because I feel like for a lot of these very, like, genius young musicians, like, they get so into, like, the vibe of tunes, like, music without words. They kind of elevate that as, like, the best thing you can do is like this really elaborate tune situation. Right. And I think that playing with me was probably helpful for him in terms of like helping him kind of expand his own playing into like, Mm. I don't know, things that were just not the same vibe as what he had been doing before. Sadie, you were homeschooled until you were in the fifth grade. How do you see that experience reflected in your personality and the way that you connect to people? I was a really social homeschooler. (laughs) So the reason that I quit homeschooling in fifth grade was just because I wanted to be around more people. But we were very like unschooled kind of, (laughs) kind of just the philosophy that you're learning all the time and there are lots of different ways to learn things. And especially in elementary school, like there are, you know, some things that you really need to learn and sit down and think about like reading and like some math kind of stuff but a lot of it like you can kind of just pick up if you're put in a situation that is like go to a museum or like I don't know bake and then learn about fractions and stuff I think the casualness of like the homeschooling that I had been a part of was very um, formative and has kind of carried through in to my the way that I make music and the kind of music that I make that I'm like trying not to be like super analytical about it and kind of just like go with the flow and see what comes out. So you started writing songs in the fifth grade and it sounds like you figured out, I don't know if this is true or not, like you figured out how to channel your reaction to like suddenly being around all these kids into songwriting. Um, How did 
writing make you feel like how did it help and how does it feel now in comparison hmm it gave me like a pretty tangible way to organize my thoughts about relationships <laughs> um as i was like entering a space where suddenly i was having many more relationships just like interpersonal or romantic like whatever than i had had before with like peers as opposed to like adults <laughs> I know I wrote songs before fifth grade, but in fifth grade, I remember like my first song about like <laughs> this kid who like had an accident on the playground and like the ambulances came and then I had a crush on him and then he got wheeled away and it was really a dramatic song and I liked him and he didn't like me and then I felt like very sad for the rest of the day and then I like went home and wrote this song and I just felt like I was like pouring out my emotions um, and then later I played it for a friend and he recorded it and then secretly played it for the kid that I had written it about. And like he'd like was not into it and like that didn't think it so was cool. That sounds so dramatic. It's very, very dramatic. <laughs> um, yeah. So he like didn't think it was cool. He was like, no, I won't go out with you. But it was like I still had this song. And even though like he didn't like it, I was like, I still think it's like a good a work for a fifth grader. Yeah. Yeah. He went on to be like this kind of big producer in LA and I'm a little bit bitter about it but it's not important ambulance boy <laughs> yeah the ambulance boy wow um but I think back then it felt more like a thing that I felt pressure to be self-conscious about just because I had this first experience of someone being like no I don't like your song even though I felt like it was pretty good and now I think throughout like I don't know through getting more validation now I'm not self-conscious about it like mm, mm-hmm I write songs and I like them and then other people sometimes like them and mainly like them. <laughs> and it's not, I'm not like trying to hide it. I bet if you like reconnected with Ambulance Boy, he would be like, oh, I don't remember that. That's exactly what happened. I found him on Tinder when I was home for Christmas a few years ago and I like messaged him and I was like, hey, do you remember how I wrote this song for you in fifth grade? And he was like, no, I don't have any memories from fifth grade. And I was like, ugh. It was such a big part of my life. <laughs> oh, boy. That's disappointing, but also kind of a relief. I know. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I wanted to talk about your theater experience. You did a lot of theater in high school and in college. And you said it like gave you the chance to embody different perspectives and points of view. How did the experience of like doing theater change your relation to your own perspectives and your own point of view? I did a lot of theater in middle high school and college especially and like I would say in middle and high school I wasn't a super big reader like I really loved stories but I didn't really like reading them and so something about being on stage and like being embodying other characters in a really active way was I don't know. It helped me like think beyond myself a bit in ways that probably reading books does for a lot of people, <laughs> but but I liked like seeing it play out and then also getting to have relationships with people in ways that were like not at all what the situation was. Yeah, I was really into like I had crushes on everybody in high school and like was really into using theater as a way of like role playing <laughs> the crushes if we got cast in the correct roles and stuff 
but <laughs> how often did that happen oh it happened actually like as much as I possibly could have wanted it. like it worked out very well <laughs> there was one person in particular that like I was always cast across from him and in these like we would be married and then like this other one it was Oklahoma and then like he was like curly and I was the girl I forget her name yeah it actually worked out okay but <laughs> you graduated Goshen College in 2017 and you had originally planned on like looking to go to school elsewhere but it sounds like um, you found a really supportive community in your hometown kept you there within that community how did you see yourself growing musically and personally at school in a few ways I think like I studied classical voice in college, which wasn't exactly what I intended to do, but more like it was a small school. And so most of the classes were classical and like I played the viola too and violin, but then I studied voice because I thought that I would excel the quickest <laughs> with voice stuff. So in some ways, like I think the I got much more of a classical basis in like technical singing that I hadn't had before in quite the same way. I had had voice lessons before and had sung like Italian things, <laughs> arias and stuff, but it was just much more intensive. And like I was cast as the role of Susanna in The Marriage of Figaro. So like this lead role my freshman year of college, which is an op, like it's an opera. I didn't know anything about opera. I didn't like opera, but I was like thrust into this role. And also like you know, I wanted to like do a good job. I wanted to like, I realized that that was like a very fortunate <laughs> thing to have happened to me. And so I think some of it was like learning to enjoy classical music and opera in ways that I hadn't really mm. thought to before. And singing in those styles, did that change the way that you sing now? Yeah, I think so. I think it kind of broadened my understanding of like what I can do that's cool. um and I'm not like inserting super cadenzas into my original music really <laughs> <You're> but not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I like maybe take more risks in terms of like where I'm placing something in my range mm. or like right because you've been pushed yeah. right I know how it where my expansiveness is mm. if that makes sense yeah I think Ethan was very formative also in my college experience of music because I had kind of like side by side this like classical opera situation that I was like very quickly excelling at and then the theory expats like progressive bluegrass band situation where we were like I was like listening to all of these progressive bluegrass bands in my free time and <laughs> um and all of them were like Boston based and so it was kind right, of right. like <laughs> having those going at the same time I think was very nice like it didn't seem like they were super connected and in fact it felt like they were very disjointed at the time but mm. when I came to Boston and like ended up going back to school everything kind of like ended up lining up in ways that was helpful you play a lot of instruments so your main instruments are violin ukulele guitar is that true yeah right now I would say like guitar violin viola ukulele like I'm not trying to emphasize my ukulele skills at this point but right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
but I can play the ukulele, yes. <laughs> I, I read that you play, and I might be missing a couple, viola, saxophone, piano, mandolin, cello, bass, banjo, as well as guitar, um, violin, ukulele. I think like growing up in a house where my dad had so many instruments, I was like quite a dabbler. So I don't mm. want to say like I'm proficient in all of those because I'm definitely not. But like if somebody, if somebody gave you a stringed instrument that you'd never played before, like could you pick it up and just figure out how to play it? Probably. Like I could play a few songs on it. I don't want to like overstate my abilities, but like stringed instruments make sense to me and I can That's usually cool. f- figure out how to make some sounds. So how do you think like learning all these different types of instruments or having that kind of like setting in your brain when you pick up a stringed instrument, you're like, oh, obviously this is what you do. Like to me, that sounds like amazing. Um, It's like being able to pick up any language because, you know, you know, you know a lot of different languages and then you're like, oh, this is how language works. Um, Except not at all. Language is so weird. (laughs) Um, But how does being a multi-instrumentalist benefit your creative endeavors i think it gives me a lot of different um influences to draw from like there have been times that i've been really trying to focus on like playing violin while singing or like my last album that was like a moment in time when i was like okay cool my thing is going to be playing violin and singing at the same time and that (laughs) didn't necessarily end up happening i was listening to like Laura Cortese and like Andrew Bird and like more people who were doing that kind of thing at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas like then I moved to Boston and then I realized that traveling with two instruments on the bus is not that helpful. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to play guitar now mainly to accompany myself. Right now I've kind of been paring back a little bit and trying to just focus in more on especially the guitar and like voice and guitar and ways that they can work together Hmm. I feel like I had more of an identity as an instrumentalist when I was like in Goshen because Hmm. I was like with my family who had all these instruments and I wasn't around musicians that were like really extremely proficient at all of the instruments I feel like when I moved to Boston I was kind of exposed to all of these like child geniuses that were at Berkeley and (laughs) and so then like in comparison it's like no I am not really a multi like I am I play two instruments like okay (laughs) and um yeah I feel like it made me much less likely to like categorize myself in that way right so all right I'm going to read some wise words that you wrote on your kickstarter in 2017 as a senior in college okay ahem Constantly focusing on myself can lead to an endless echo chamber of uncertainty. While taking a moment to consider someone else's reality both takes the pressure off of me to figure out my own stuff and provides a refreshing glimpse into another way of life. This is very wise for like a 22-year-old, <laughs> I think. Um, how, you know, in, in thinking about wisdom, like how did you cultivate that wisdom as a young person and how do you continue to tap into that I think my mom is very wise <laughs> and I think like having I mean just like as an individual she's very smart and very wise but also she's like a public speaker in the pastoral roles that she's been in and so like growing up I had this person that was just like you know always had really solid advice and like 
her sermons were not particularly, they weren't, I mean, they were sort of scripture related, but it was more like storytelling and like. And you love storytelling. And I love storytelling. And I think I like picked up a lot of like turns of phrase and like, I think I picked up a lot of storytelling elements from her and and I like to think some of the wisdom too I don't know I was in middle school I like always thought that I was like very wise for my age which I'm not gonna overstate my wisdom as a middle schooler but like I think part of like being homeschooled gave me some like elitism in my head about like Mm. oh yes like I understand things because I have friends that are adults or like that I just like was around more adults than kids for some time in my life. Mm. Felt like I was just, I had like some well-roundedness that like gave me different perspectives. And like, you know, the older I get, like the less, the more I realize that I don't have other perspectives and that like right. I need to seek those out. Right, and right. so like, for example, I read now. <laughs> <laughs> um, that seems like a very natural thing for like a smart, young person to do like it sounds very familiar to me in that like you're you're going to school with all these other kids and you're like there's something out there that I feel like I know and these kids don't know when you're like 25 you're like wait a second I know nothing and then you start to (laughs) then you start to find out that there that you were onto something but you just like don't have the intellectual capacity to grasp it quite yet yeah and that like I really only have so many perspectives in my understanding of like the worldview and stuff. Right. You have a strong activist spirit and I wonder where your interest in social justice came from and how it's changed your approach to writing and looking outside of yourself. Hmm. Mennonites are very service oriented and like encourage you to like place emphasis on helping other people since so much of my childhood and young adulthood has been within the Mennonite church I've been conscientious as I've been writing songs about like I've gone through a few stages like not wanting to just write about myself and I listened to an episode yesterday where Lizzie was just saying the same thing that I was about to say to you like (laughs) just but like the church the emphasis of the church on like focusing on other people was like encouraging me to make music about something that was more than myself. But as I did that, I like found myself feeling like I wasn't being super, like I wasn't having the most integrity about it because I wasn't speaking from my own experience. And Mm. like, it's hard to write music about situations that you really don't know anything about Mm -hmm. and like that's probably not my role my shift now is just towards like writing music that people can kind of relate to in some specific way and then that will make them be reflective of themselves and that's like kind of a form of activism too is just like encouraging people to like really be self-reflective and yeah just give people opportunities for looking inward since um becoming an adult you've spent 
a lot of time outside your hometown. You know, you went to Peru. Um, how long were you there for? Uh, so it was a study abroad program in college. So it was like three months. That was the first foray <laughs> out of Goshen. And you moved to Boston in 2017 to further your education. Your move east, um, you said, was to help you figure out who you were outside of your home and outside of your community. What has that experience been like for you so far? What have you found out about yourself? <laughs> yeah, I've learned a lot. <laughs> I think initially I went to Goshen College because it was a great school and financially it was a wonderful decision. And I really liked the school. Um, but I knew that like I was getting kind of overly focused on the Mennonite world in some ways. Like when I would meet someone who wasn't Mennonite, that was like really cool. I was just like, oh, that's so strange. They're not even Mennonite, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and like, obviously there are lots of wonderful people that are not Mennonite. Most of the world would be probably not Mennonite. Um, and so that was the point at which I was like, okay, I probably need to leave this town just to remind myself and to like learn <laughs> just because that doesn't feel like a very good place to begin adulthood with that kind of mentality. What I've learned about myself, I really like being in a community, which I guess is not really separate. That also was the case in Goshen, but um, like I have worked at Club Passim for most of the time I've been in Boston and I lived in like a music house with a bunch of different people and that has been like a really wonderful way to kind of have continuity with like the importance of community in my life and feeling like people know me and like appreciate me. I also found out that I'm pretty gay during mm. my time in Boston, which was kind of a surprise to me. And that's been great. <laughs> I'm not sure what conclusions I would have come to had I not been outside of the community that I grew up in. And I think that has been like a new theme in my music too, just because it's a new and exciting and, and feels like true in a way that a lot of my earlier music was very like projecting some imaginary like romantic experience that hadn't happened yet and I feel like now I like have real subject matter <laughs> to go to, to to use congratulations on thank you discovering <laughs> all of that exciting <laughs> stuff about yourself you recently completed your master's degree in jazz voice at Long East School of Music in Boston which is like you snuck in there right under the wire before graduation shut down yeah in 2019 was, right yeah yeah, so good work. <laughs> I have this theory about jazz and you and your sense of humor. Okay. Um, like I want to know like why incorporating jazz into your music is so important, but also like you have this like great sense of humor. I'd like to hear like more about where that came from. <laughs> um, and then the intersection of like humor and jazz, where you see that when it comes to your music and maybe like my theory is that like understanding jazz for you helps you inject your personality into your songs hmm yeah I think that's like pretty true I don't know that jazz would have been the only way to get into it but like when I decided to go to school for jazz I didn't really have a jazz background and 
and I knew that I wanted to be writing folk music, all of my formal instruction had been classical and really kind of like starchy. <laughs> um, and so I was looking for more school that was not that. Um, that was just like a way to um, encourage me to like, I don't know, get into my body more when I'm performing or like <laughs> not be as scared of making a mistake and yeah like using jazz chords (laughs) in my writing as well so I think because before I like would get comments that well when I was a kid and I would perform on the violin I would just be like really solemn faced and really still and people Mm. would be like you look so sad when you're playing the violin like you should smile because it's nice um and I think I brought some of that into like when I was writing music in college and it was still like I was a pretty like still (laughs) performer now I don't really think about it like going to school for jazz was definitely part of what helped get me maybe like out of my head a little bit more and more like it's okay to move it's okay to make a mistake and it's okay to like be like in the moment when you're performing and like I think before I would get kind of like, I would just like think about other things when I was performing my music. (laughs) Um, And it was very much like going through the motions and um, like stay in the moment. Right. And I think that some of jazz and just like my graduate education was like, okay, how to stay like in your body when you're making music in a way that makes you easier to connect to the audience too. And how humor plays into that. I mean, I'm like a big advocate for like being kind of like unapologetically dorky or just like not really worrying too much about what people will think about what I say. Like, I don't think I'm really that funny, but I think my delivery sometimes is like (laughs) startling (laughs) in a way that makes people laugh, which I I like that. (laughs) I love that you don't think you're funny. (laughs) well no i think i'm a little funny but like anything premeditated is not funny like i don't think that i can like contain whatever humor that exists inside of me because it always comes out in a way that i didn't expect it to (laughs) let's talk about the new music Mm, Um, yeah Volume one, the new release is out now, which is an EP of songs that you finished recording before quarantine started. And the full length will be out next fall. What's the plan for the rest of the songs that haven't been recorded? And like, how might putting those songs on the shelf for like such a long time, like, how might that change the songs of being away from them for so long? Hmm. That's a good question. I think it might change the songs that I choose to record also. (laughs) So like some of it, I mean, so I recorded half the songs and then the other half of them, I like had a rough idea of what songs I would include. And like since March 15th, like I've written some songs that I really like and I think I might rather include some of them than the ones that I had been planning on before. Just also knowing that the process will be so drawn out in terms of like if I'll ever tour these songs and by the time everything is done, the recording process will probably be different from what it would have been before. 
we're still like definitely figuring out the best way to proceed because I had been recording in New York in my producer's apartment. It's like not very many people, but I feel like in the middle of the winter, that might be a bad idea. So I think it will probably be a lot more like remote recording and then layering things. I love that Alex Spiegelman is your producer. Yeah. Oh, he's great. He is so awesome and so like wildly creative. And he's going to be on Basic Folk at some point soon as well. Ooh. Um, and I'm really looking forward to talking <laughs> to him. Can you talk about your connection to Alex's approach and what he added to the process of making this EP? Yeah. Alec is great. He is like very interested in maintaining the imperfections in songs and like kind of highlighting the weird parts or like the weird moments that are that kind of give music its character (laughs) which has been really fun for me because I think when I have recorded on my own and then when I was like a kid and recording with my dad it was very much a mentality of like okay well since we have time we're going to record it until it sounds the way that we want it to sound with Alec it's like well well your voice cracked at this point and everyone in the room cried. So probably we should use that take. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I think you're right. And it's just nice to have someone else be there to offer that so that I don't have to be making all of those calls in a way that I'm like extremely biased. <laughs> mm. So you mentioned this earlier that you have discovered that you are gay. Um, <laughs> and this is your first record, the first music that's been released since you came out so I don't know how you like identify your orientation I read on the internet like somebody wrote that this is your her first album is coming out as a lesbian so like I don't know if you use the word lesbian um, or what do you use and like I don't know what is your relationship like with the word lesbian sure I am kind of using a lot of words right now (laughs) Yeah, at this point, I'm, like, not sure if I ever want to, like, date a cis man again. So in that way, I'm, like, I will say I'm gay and queer and, like, yeah, lesbian. <laughs> and um, and if I, you know, I'm, like, partnered right now, but if I, like, met a really wonderful cis man at some point and was, like, down to clown, then maybe we would, I don't know. <laughs> I, like... It's not that I don't like labels, but I feel like at this point it's not it hasn't been helpful for me to be labeling myself based on what I don't want to pursue mm-hmm. as much as like yeah, I've been really excited about like the queer community that I've encountered since coming out and like a lot of like identity things about lesbians has felt really cool and like it matches up with me and so I think any of those words are fine. And I'm also not using them in a very exclusionary way, too. Like, because at first I also thought I was, like, just pretty bi. Like, I was like, maybe I like men and then would, like, have sex with a woman but not date them. And then, like, very quickly it was like, well, that's not the case. (laughs) And so, yeah, I don't know. I'm leaving room for change just realizing that, like, my understanding of myself has changed so dramatically in the past two years they're like what's to say it won't change again (laughs) and not in a not in a like I don't know I think 
it was a little bit hard initially because I like hadn't really thought of myself in a gay way and I grew up in such a like religious situation where the narrative of people that were like pro-inclusion was like well they're born that way so like you just like you can't expect like you don't want gay people to change because they're born that way and then when Mm -hmm. I was like well but now I'm just kind of deciding that this is who I am and like am I born this way like I don't know (laughs) um so that was a kind of like confusing area to navigate but also like you make choices all the time about what you're going to pursue and who you're like yeah I made a choice to date people that were different than who I had previously dated and it was great and then I like learned that I enjoyed it and that it was good (laughs) so so that's what I have to say (laughs) I've noticed there's this like real arc in your presentation of gender like looking at pictures of you in college and like looking at videos in you at college, you're like a long haired lady who like wore some feminine dresses that showed, showed some shape of a body. <laughs> and now you look like pretty androgynous. You have short hair and you're like pretty neutrally androgynously dressed. So how has your relationship to gender evolved? I feel like it has been more about presentation than like actual gender identity for me or like throughout my process of like coming out in a different sexual orientation than before. I feel like I went through this like initially when I came out, I was like, someone told me we went on a date. I was wearing a dress. She told me that I didn't look like a gay person. And I was like, horribly offended and obviously that's just like a mean thing to say and then I started like buying all these mask clothing and like I cut my hair and like that wasn't all due to that one date but it was like me trying to figure out like well I haven't tried this like would this feel genuine and good and I think there was like a few months where I was like okay I'm gonna like be dressing completely masculine and like throwing away all my dresses and things And then I, like, kind of missed having a shape (laughs) and, like, kind of missed some of the clothes that I had gotten rid of. And I think I've gotten to a point where I'm just not worrying about it quite as much. Like, Mm. I think also I got pretty hung up on, like, the butch-femme dichotomy and trying to be like, well, where am I? Like, I feel like there's some butch people or, like, masculine-presenting people that, like, you know, it seems like they have always been like that. And that's like really Mm. has continuity. And I was like really wanting to be genuine to who I was, but also being like, okay, well, I had a, like a tomboy phase in middle school. (laughs) So like maybe there is some continuity even though, but it doesn't mean that everything in between was like fake me. Yeah. I feel like I've kind of reached a point where I really love being comfortable (laughs) and that aspect of like lesbianism (laughs) really is appealing to me and like outdoor wear. I'm just like, I found a coat that I really love. Um, (laughs) But I think I'm just not worrying about it as much anymore. I was just thinking today, like maybe I'll grow my hair out because I look great with a bob (laughs) and like trying not to make it as big of a thing as it was initially like, Mm mm-hmm just to be like yeah there are lots of different people that present lots of different ways and they can change from day to day and it's really whatever people want but yeah I think I'm like fairly happy to be identifying as a woman that feels 
like that hasn't really changed but I do like I love the gay gaze you know like I want to look gay enough that people are noticing me (laughs) and that has been that has been a lovely aspect of changing my clothes a little bit (laughs) you're part of this really wonderful new generation of singer-songwriters and musicians who are centered around Boston and centered around New England. And your particular community kind of revolves around Club Passim, the folk venue in Cambridge. Since COVID, Passim hasn't been able to have in-person shows since March. I mean, no venues have. Um, But I was thinking about this recently and was wondering about your perspective of it. So like the generation that I was a part of at Passim was like Anais Mitchell, Rose Cousins, Mark Gorelli, Rose Polanzani, Meg Hutchinson, all of those musicians who were kind of like blooming and thriving at the time. And I just like cannot wrap my mind around like not being able to see these musicians play or be around these musicians for like an entire year or like however long this lasts. So what do you think and you you may be having a perspective because we've been doing this for almost a year now, but like, what do you think that this pandemic is going to do to like this generation of musicians who thrive on community? And what do you think it's going to do to those communities? Well, I think for me personally, like it's pretty sad <laughs> or like I have, I, yeah, I really valued the community of my coworkers working at Passim and also the musicians that come through and that like, because of the pandemic, a lot of people have left, like people have been moving or if they were planning on moving on from Boston, like they might be quicker to do that now as they might not be coming, like making money and having to pay rent in Boston and things like that. So in some ways it feels kind of sad and like just like everybody is dispersing but also so much of the scene in Boston is built around music schools and like people graduate and leave all the time and so in that way it seems like it's pretty consistent I feel like my community has been ebbing and flowing for a few years as people have graduated school and left and like and then that way like it's just been more encouragement to like keep up with friends and musical connections from other parts of my life and also just like you have to be a lot more intentional just as any relationships during the pandemic and some people have been doing some really cool things like um live green and nina davitri and joby riccio which are all people that i kind of know from the club passim scene um like they started a Um, an online music camp that like happened at the end of October and that I taught at and that was really fun and it was like ah yes (laughs) (laughs) this is the kind of community that I have been missing and like where you're friends and then also you have like this musical kind of connection too and can talk about yeah the more like introspective side of writing and creating and like being a creative person and also like there are still people around I had a get together in my backyard for my birthday and had a few friends and a few friends who are musicians that were there. And well, everybody was a musician, but a few friends from the scene. (laughs) Um, And it was just so nice to like have people in the same place and be able to chat and 
talk about how everybody's going through a rough time in whatever way mm. they were going through it. And I think that that was like a thing that I loved about Passim that we would all like complain about our lives in the wine closet as like wait staff. <laughs> and then like a few months or days or weeks later, then you would hear like a new song by someone that was like directly related to what they had just been talking <laughs> about in the wine closet <laughs> to have that like two level friendship was like so sweet yeah. and who knows which of those people would return to working at Passim after or even like the timeline on what that would be but it feels kind of just like it's the past <laughs> a little bit yeah and like I'm sure it'll continue in ways as things get safer and but so much of the music community is very spread out and people mm -hmm. live all over the country and then you tour and then you have friends places and then you can stay on their couch so like Right now it's inconvenient and that eventually people will be connected again. <laughs> Are you ready for the lightning round? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I brought my book that I've been reading so that I remember okay. the Great. person who wrote it. Perfect. <laughs> All right, Sadie, here we go. Okay. What is the first song you learned on the guitar? They will know we are Christians by our love. Yes, they will. <laughs> what is your karaoke song? Uh, something by ABBA. Dogs or cats or something else? Um, cats for now. Mavis Staples or Aretha Franklin? Uh, Aretha Franklin. First celebrity crush? Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Who is the nicest musician you've ever met? Oh, because I've worked at Passing for so long, and I've met so many musicians. So many. <laughs> um, the guy that wrote um, Bill Staines. Oh, He's so sweet. What is your favorite podcast? Um, right now, Reply All. First album you bought with your own money? Probably like the Singing in the Rain soundtrack. First concert? My parents. Sweet. Last book you read? Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo. Flying or Invisibility? Invisibility. Last one. Okay. Where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Oregon. Oh. <laughs> the whole state? No, I just have one very specific memory of like the Oregon coast that I was like at camp and I was like, I like encountered so many different landscapes within like a few feet of each other and I like crawled up this like mountain on the side of the coast and then like burrowed through some like leaves and then there was like a forest of moss and then I walked a few feet and then the forest was completely gray and everything was strange and then like and then all of the sudden it didn't feel like a real thing that happened it felt fake yeah, yeah it was real that's <laughs> awesome Sadie Cindy <laughs> thank you so much for answering all the questions and oh yeah thank you so much for having me what an honor Congratulations on the new EP. The songs are awesome, and I can't wait to hear the rest. Yay, thank you so much. I'm excited to share. <laughs> Basic Folk This Week produced by Laura McCarthy. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton of Townspeople does our music. Basic Folk is on the American Songwriters Podcast Network. I am your host, Cindy House. A pleasure. Thanks for listening. You can find all of the episodes at cindyhouse.net or wherever you get podcasts. It's very simple. On the podcast app, on Spotify, Stitcher, 
wherever you can tell your smart speaker to play basic folk. Even that works. It's pretty cool. All right. um, We'll talk to you next time. Okay. Bye. 